Welcome back to Don't Be Strangers, a podcasting community focused on fighting adult loneliness and changing the narrative that making friends as an adult is hard. I'm your host, Shinyi, and I typically meet my co-hosts for the very first time while recording. If this sounds fun to you, please consider applying to co-host a future episode. If you've listened to my last episode, which was a love letter reflecting on me hosting my first ever in-person meetup for Don't Be Strangers here in Dallas, you know that I'm on a mission to translate this virtual and global community into a physical one with city chapters all over the world. If you live in Dallas, we're hosting another event in Staycation Coffee Richardson on Tuesday, October 11th. Tell your Texan friends. If you'd like to co-host a meetup in your own city with the help of Don't Be Strangers with our mission in mind, reach out to me at Don't Be Strangers on Instagram. Today, I'm chatting with Gabriel Lee, who is in charge of PR at Hugmatch, a company that focuses on developing interactive toys for the visually impaired. To be completely honest, when he reached out and presented his pitch for co-hosting, I was under the impression that this would be purely a PR episode for Hugmatch, which honestly, I have no qualms about because marketing and promoting your own passions is part of the human experience and should be shared. But getting to know him and the story behind this project, as you will experience with me in this episode, I'm floored. I think he has a very precious perspective on life, and I would love to meet his wife and the rest of his team. In this conversation, we talk about pivoting in life and exploring who we are through the lens of being Asian American, how he became part of the mission behind Hug Match, the staggering stats behind visual impairment, solo traveling as an introvert, and what's on the other side of fear. Also, a small note, there will be some background noise in this episode, so if you hear stuff, don't worry, there's nothing happening in your house. Um, with that, please meet Gabriel. Hi, Xinyi, everyone. Uh, my name is Gabriel. I am the public affairs manager of Hugmatch, which is an early stage tech startup based here in New York City. And where our focus is to uh, educate as well as to create interactive toys and apps for visually impaired children aged two to five. And so, Part of my role as a public affairs manager is to promote the brand, tell its story, and come on really nice podcasts like this, don't, like Don't Be Stranger, and to share our story and to find other people that we can connect with and be inspired from. So that's me. Uh, I am newly married, um, live in New Jersey, and I'm also an Air Force officer as well. So during my part-time I serve in the reserves as well. So maybe we can just get on to our first question. You know, what is your story? How did you end up in your current position? And how, how did you end up creating this awesome platform? Thanks. So I guess I feel like this question is a little vague um, because <laughs> what does like current position really mean? I guess with the podcast itself, it's something that I'm truly passionate about in terms of like connecting people. But the interesting mm. twist to this is that I grew up very introverted, so I would have never imagined as a child or as a teenager or young adult mm -hmm. being someone who would want to build a community or even do anything like this. I think mm -hmm. I currently wrote like a blog article that was more like an internal reflection such journal exercise where I, I point out the different key events in my life that kind of made me realize my own negative self-talk 
in terms of self-isolation. Like I convinced myself that I was very isolated and I couldn't connect with people. So once I started experiencing true connection, I realized that even people who feel like they are very alone, such as me in the past, can mm -hmm. actually make connections and meaningful connections and feel part of like the human experience. So that's how I kind of came to the whole idea behind Don't Be Strangers and like community building and fighting against adult loneliness, which I think is really rampant. Oh, that's, that's especially. so great. Yeah. And then outside of Don't Be Strangers, I'm a web developer and I got into that position after graduating from college as a biology major. I actually Bio major. pivoted. Yeah, I yeah. pivoted almost immediately into a coding boot camp and that's how I got my current role. So kind of all wow. over the place. But but right. I, I think it's really cool how we have agency of, in our own lives to do pivots. Mm -hmm. Like no one's ever locked into one career for the rest of their life, that there are opportunities for you to explore more of life itself. That was such an interesting uh, intro. I feel like we have one thing in common. I pivoted so much in my career too. I was an international affairs major in my undergrad and then international business for my master's. But I didn't really delve into those fields that much at all either, except for a brief stint at the UN in my 20s. And so I see that we have that in common. I haven't been to a boot camp, but um, I've taken courses at General Assembly. I thought that was really interesting. And I know that you're a digital nomad, right? You've been sort of traveling and working. Yeah, I think travel has always been like a huge part of yeah. my life or like my personality, I think, just a curiosity to learn. And we can loop back to digital nomading, but I would love to hear your story as well. Not only because you pointed out the parallel of like pivoting, but I would love to hear like how you got into your major and your master and where you are now and then hug, mm -hmm. a bit more about hug match like how long have you been at hug match why did you choose this role uh, why did i hug choose yeah. yeah yeah oh absolutely uh well i think about the introvert i'm super introverted too and uh too much social interaction makes me really tired i know that makes me sound super old but it's true uh, that's just the way that i'm built uh, in terms of the, the pivoting, I think it's because, you know, like you, I'm also Asian American and the culture capital that I bring is from South Korea, where my parents grew up and they grew up during a time when, you know, it was during the Korean War, Korea was very poor after the Second World War, just like a lot of countries like Japan, Taiwan, mainland China, Vietnam, and, and so forth. And Obviously, you know, they're a product of their generation and their environment. So back then, if you studied one thing, you just hit that field and you go with it. There was no pivoting. And so I remember, you know, when we immigrated to New York uh, during the 1980s and when I was growing up in school during the 90s, now you can kind of guess what my age is based on that. You know, they, had, they brought that with them. And so they kind of instilled that value. The thing about that is I think it worked well during that time. You know, the country had to rapidly develop. I don't think they have time to think about who am I? What do I want to do? It's just, you got to do it. But as opposed to a lot of us, second generation, or even um, what I call the 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 1.5, 
generation immigrants who are born abroad and who grew up here. So they have a, a taste of both continents. We sort of question a lot of these things. Is this right for me? Um, so my father, he was pretty straight, like a lot of Korean dads, and he kind of pushed me in one area. Later on, I found out that's super not for me. And it took a lot of pivoting as a result to figure that out. And so, you know, I don't blame my father or anything. I actually it was a blessing in disguise. You know, I got into managing my own small business at one point. I worked at the UN for a number of years. I also taught English in South Korea for a number of years while I was going to grad school over there. I had a chance to volunteer at the Korea Society, intern at the U.S. Senate on Capitol Hill when I was a college student in D.C. So I got to try different things. I think like you, traveling, I think it's like medicine for the introvert. It just really opens up a lot of stuff. Personally speaking, it just opened my world and my eyes to how big and beautiful her world really is and how precious it is. This all ties into Hugmatch because, you know, we're creating these interactive toys and apps for visually impaired kids. And as I get older, and I think in general, as people get older, they start thinking, hey, it's not just about me anymore. It's about my neighbor. It's about that stranger. It's about that family over there. I think we start thinking about things larger than ourselves. And so that's one of the main reasons why I joined Hugmatch. And I think it also helps that you're married to the founder. <laughs> My wife is the founder. So I think, you know, that's an automatic buy-in right there. And, you know, she asked me and you can't say no, right? That's sort of like the uh, unwritten rule about a marriage. The husband has to do it, um, especially <laughs> the Korean husband. <laughs> and so, but here, but, you know, that's why... I married my wife, Chloe, who is the founder, because she has such a big heart for people. And it's just amazing that the team that she assembled of, you know, UX, UI designers, developers, sound engineers, uh, music composers, they all were attracted to this purpose and mission in helping visually impaired kids around the world. There's about 18.9 million across the globe about 550,000 here in the United States. And when you feel like you're just not normal, in a sense, I think we've all been there. You know, your self-esteem goes down, so does your confidence. And we just really want to tell those kids who've been told that they're handicapped, that, you know, they're disabled. Hey, these are not socially stigmatized words. To us, it means unique and special. Don't worry, we got you. We got some cool technology coming your way. We want you to be a part of the conversation and at the table. I think that's really, really awesome. And I didn't realize that the numbers were so grand. What does that actually encompass like is that mm -hmm. like legally blind or what is the scope of that well so if you look at sort of the world health organization and and look at their definitions and even look at their statistics on their website it says at least globally at the moment there's 2.2 billion people that have a visual impairment they categorize in four ways it's going to be mild moderate severe and actual blindness and so they have these categories and these definitions but by going by their sort of standard uh, almost like a third of our world has some sort of visual impairment it's kind of hard to gauge how many children in the u.s for example fit into those four categories but 
Um, I mean, that, those are the numbers at the moment. I think maybe I'm extra shocked because to think that children at two to five are already falling into these categories, that's actually very astounding, like especially astounding. I wonder what that implies at like the biological level, because I feel like- That's right, you're a bio major, yeah. (laughs) Like that doesn't, like (laughs) you wouldn't think that we would be born like this, right? Like nature would not naturally be producing babies that are like already going to be impaired visually. And there are a number of causes. There's uncorrected refractive errors, cataracts, as you know, it's pretty common, glaucoma as you get older as well. And so um, there are a lot of different causes that cause visual impairments in both adults and children. And I think some of them are just natural in a way, as, as sort of as we age and develop, but some of it is obviously due to unnatural causes as well. Um, how long has this project been running for? Yeah, like when did this start Max, and how yeah. long have you been part of the, the project? I've been officially part of the project last year. I kind of worked as a voice narrator for the app that we're developing at the moment, which we sort of envisioned to see it launch. Just hoping. <laughs> I know we depend a lot on our developers and designers and as well as our PM. Hopefully by the end of Q4, but as you know, things get a little busy and we don't always follow that roadmap. So maybe Q1, Q2 in uh, 2023. Uh, This project actually started, it was conceived through the founder's master's thesis at Parsons uh, New School. So that's where it came from. But from the heart of it, it started from her desire and her interactions with her uncle who had a disability. She also visited various schools. I think one of them was called the Helen Keller School of Disability Services. She got to observe a lot of the children in that setting. As you know, when you try to observe people and try to be that anthropologist or that social scientist, you got to sort of like be tucked in a corner and, and just make sure things just naturally flow as they did. And so she was observing them. And she noticed that the children who had visual impairments, a lot of them were just isolated. You know, they're playing by themselves or playing directly with the teacher because obviously some of their friends would not and their classmates would not come and play with them. And so I think that's where her heart and her desire to create something to help those children, that's where it just naturally came out. So this project has been going on. That's a very long-winded answer to your question. I would say about roughly close to 10 years now. Wow. 10 years. Yeah, I think that's super beautiful. And I think it's even more meaningful when it starts with a deeper connection to the problem. So the example of the founder and her uncle, and then obviously her, her thesis project as well. I think that's amazing. I also wanted to touch base on what you mentioned about the context of your parents and also the the contrast that you highlighted in terms of their generation and what they were asked to do and then their Mm -hmm. mentality on what a career looks like and that impacting how they raise (laughs) i really appreciated the contextualization that you gave there because i think it's true and i think i admit that like sometimes i forget about this fact as well that for them they didn't really have the liberty to kind of explore the the way that we have now and so yeah thank you for that i'm glad you you mentioned that because and and i think you can also empathize as an aapi professional that inherit the culture capital from our parents and our, our ancestors 
from a different continent. And then we try to grow up American, just like any other American. And sometimes there's a bit of contrast, right? And I'm sure, I mean, if you could share, if it's not too personal, maybe you have some experiences with that. There can be some confusion due to the contrast of the cultures, the languages, linguistically as well. I know when I grew up here in the States, I actually was kind of fortunate to grow up where there was a very large AAPI community uh, in my high school in Queens, New York. Um, it's called Benjamin Cardozo. And close to 40% of the student body was Asian American, largely Korean American. And we had some AAPI teachers there. So I guess I didn't get picked on too much, <laughs> but I was kind of nerdy. So I, I did I did get, end up getting picked on, but you know, not too much. Growing up in the Dallas Plano, um, Texas area, there is a huge population of Asians here as well, um, specifically in the Plano school districts, I would say that the high schools are known to be notoriously competitive due to the population of Asians there. And so <laughs> it's funny uh, I, I didn't grow up in, I mean, I grew up in this general suburban area, but my parents didn't have me go to Plano specifically and i'm really grateful for that because i think like i could just can't imagine the amount of competition in that particular school oh, district <laughs> well, i thank your parents too so that being said i i'm really grateful that i wasn't in the shoes of some of my friends who i met like online mm -hmm. who are also api but in other southern states where they were truly like the only Asian in their grade, right. for example. Oh, so wow. I can't yeah. imagine that sort of isolation that they felt. You mentioned that you were you are in digital nomading and I'm just very curious about what that lifestyle is like. I heard your last podcast in early September and I got a taste of it. Personally, I don't think I can do that. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit more old school. I think I should be tied to one area. Can you just tell me how you got into that? That's just, it sounds so interesting. I think it started in college. Um, not that I wasn't digital nomading in college, but my but my passion <laughs> for travel started in right. college because I, I met a friend who was just, very voracious in the way that she sought opportunities for herself to travel so she would find opportunities via like study abroad I think that's the most obvious one yeah, but then definitely. also like through different school specialization programs that they offered um, mm -hmm. her being able to involve herself to be able to travel with those school programs me observing that and seeing how she made travel accessible to her because I think our general work culture in America kind of delineates the vacation and work, whereas like she kind of introduced the idea of the integration of travel into nice, your yeah. work, study, like whatever lifestyle. And so wow. that's kind of what sparked yeah. it. And then after... After my coding boot camp, I started my career. I was, thanks to Instagram ads, <laughs> I was introduced <laughs> to the idea of Remote Year. Have you heard of this company? No, I have not. That sounds so interesting. Okay. Remote Year? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a company. So, yes. So it's a company oh, cool. that I think was a little ahead of its time because I discovered this like probably six or so years ago where the company offered for people who had at that time the ability to travel and work remotely to basically mm -hmm. apply to travel with 
the company for an entire year where they organize all your accommodations, all your flights, and you and all these other remote workers would basically live together month by month for an entire year across the globe. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever, but I had just started my career as a web developer and my job was not remote. So like, I was just like, man, that would be a pipe dream like that sounds amazing but then the other intimidating factor is that it was an entire year so i identify as an ambivert so i kind of lean into both the introversion and the extroversion but i definitely was concerned like okay an entire year what if i just don't like these people you know that's a (laughs) and that would be a lot it was also really stressful yes right so wow um, is that like a college tuition expensive or how expensive were we talking about i can't remember like the time that i was researching it but it was just like like month to month like the the rent itself comparable to living in New York and LA. I don't know because okay, I, I live in Dallas. So it's like yeah. <laughs> and like, I guess it makes sense because they're, they have to find the accommodations for you. And then they're also doing flights. That's right. And stuff. Flights, but, meals, right, yeah. right, board. So I, that was cool. And then I thought like, I would love to do this, but that's probably not feasible at this point point Mm -hmm. in my career considering I just started and then Mm -hmm. about two to three years ago like before COVID I started my first ever consulting travel project I had always dreamed of doing the you know the company pays for your flights that pays for your hotels it pays for your dream isn't it (laughs) (laughs) right I know so I I finally got a taste of it like four or five years into my career like being put on a travel project and a lot of my friends who do travel consulting they say like it gets tiring after a while like you know after a couple months of flying out on mondays going home on thursdays you're just gonna get sick of it and Uh i was like okay well maybe but i'm loving it (laughs) so far because (laughs) because i just started right but like i also thanks to all of these friends I knew that um, I could take advantage of alternative weekends. What that means is like instead of flying home to Dallas, because they, they're paying for my flights like back and forth between Dallas and the client site, if I could find another flight to another city, so I started traveling for free around America <laughs> that year as well. And that made, that made that year extra tiring because it was like I was working, I was traveling, and then I was like doing these fun weekend trips, which were very fast and very short. And then COVID hit and then everything shut down. (laughs) That was kind of shocking to me just because not shocking in the way that it was a very sharp contrast of lifestyle because I was like going from full-time traveling to like full-time don't leave your house as the world was coming back around about like a year and also the world was getting more comfortable with just remote work in general, being forced to do it and having to adjust themselves to having remote workers, I realized that my dream from like four or five years ago of traveling and working was now becoming more and more possible because like companies are now allowing remote employees. Yeah. So then I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is what I've been waiting for. So this was like, one finally caught up with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's how it started. What I really love about the travel kind of tying back to what you said about being able to kind of like open our eyes as like introverts. So me leaning into like the introvert part of myself and like learning through my Mm -hmm. travels. I also feel like it gives my life 
very distinct context to remember things by. So this is something important I think about traveling that we kind of lose as an adult once we get out of the school system. Because when I think back to the school system, everything was like captured in the context of like a semester or a trimester or whatever. And so it was like a, right. yeah. the same set of classmates, the same set of teachers, the same like courses, you know, for like three or four mm-hmm. months. And then once you get into a career, it's like flat. Your experience is kind of oh, flat. Right. Because it's like, well, now I specialize in like PR in your case and it's like and I work at this company and so like it'll always be PR for like this context and that's totally fine but you I feel like the essence of the human experience is also learning and growth Mm -hmm. and like well one can learn and grow in like a given career I feel like we're meant to grow multi-dimensionally too, you know? So like, yes, oh, there's opportunity yeah. in our yeah. career, but then like, how are you growing outside of that? I'm doing this by like intentionally changing my surroundings, my environment, like trying to do language learning, just trying to play with different aspects of my life to like keep the human experience interesting, keep life interesting and fun and playful and growing. Sinu, you are inspiring me. <laughs> to hit the road again as you know once you're when you're married you can't really make decisions by yourself unilaterally anymore okay so i'm gonna interrupt here to say if you found any of these topics interesting or relatable please hit pause right now to give this show a follow and a rating or if you know of a friend who needs to hear what's being shared here please take two seconds to message them this episode it'd mean the world to me to be able to expand the reach of who this podcast could potentially help you sharing your experiences, it was inspirational in the fact that it kind of allowed me to go back to a time when I traveled really frequently. Like every six weeks, I would be on a plane going abroad. When I was in grad school in Korea, Korea is like right at the center of Northeast Asia. Japan is two hours away. Tokyo was two hours away. Taiwan was three hours from Seoul, Incheon, uh, Beijing was about an hour and a half, depending on air traffic. (laughs) Hong Kong was three hours. It was in like the center of a hub. And so I remember when I was in grad school and things got a little boring and and tried and sort of flat, as you said before, I was just like, hey, let's let's go visit some buddies in Hong Kong. And so um, I, I had some acquaintances, but sometimes if I went to a country that I didn't know somebody, what I would do, I was I would always contact my college alumni network and I'd contact that office and be like, hey, I'm going to, for example, Indonesia, I'm going to Jakarta for the weekend. Do you have a chapter out there? And so they would put me in touch with somebody from that city. And so I'd always have some sort of connection before I go to a country that I've never been before. Yeah, you telling me that story, that part, it just really brought back a lot of great memories traveling throughout the APAC region. Do you have any travel plans like planned for yourself and your wife in the near future just for like vacation or? Yeah, because we're both taking grad courses again, we kind of now have to look at our final schedule. (laughs) I guess I feel young in that sense again, but um, we hope to just, you know, at least after our midterms, we hope to go on like a getaway, even if it's local in the New York City area. Upstate New York is beautiful in the fall, as you can imagine. Hope to go to Korea sometime soon. We haven't been there since the pandemic. I haven't been there since 2020 so i'd like to go visit fairly soon what about you do you have any upcoming travel plans i know you're in colombia recently right yeah i just came back to colombia two weeks ago actually i was thinking that today i really need to lock down all my travel plans for december because 
Um, my family uh, is going back to Malaysia to visit our extended oh, family. I was yeah. actually born in Kuala Lumpur, so I fall under what you would call it's the one to five generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great city. Yeah, and I haven't been back for like over a decade just because... Personally wow. speaking, I think like it was really hard with like the start of my career and not being able to take enough time That's off right. for it to yeah. be worth it. Because I feel like traveling mm -hmm. to Asia, you have to be able to go for at least a month. Personally speaking, because it's so yeah. expensive to get there. It's such a time right. commitment. You're, like, jet -lagged. <laughs> like, then you're like jet lagged for a couple of days to like a week. And then like yeah. for you to go for a week only to come back. You know, or even oh, two weeks, least, I feel like yeah. I'm trying to go back with the family. Yeah, I've been procrastinating a little bit on buying flights, Finding like, <laughs> like figuring out accommodation. That was a good time. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, yeah. I mean, when you get that, like, that was, that's on my to-do for yeah. today, like after this call. But I think I've been procrastinating because I was out of the country for four months before I got that's home right. too. A part of me is like a little tired. <laughs> and so like thinking yeah. about traveling again is not, that point. like I want to do it but then i'm like oh yeah. i'm kind of tired i just kind of want to rest so i think i'll be ready definitely ready to travel again in december because that'll give me about like two to two and a half two months recuperate months. i love that you as like a grad student had the opportunity well the, the first time i guess you were a grad student because you're technically <laughs> a grad student yeah, again, again um, yeah had, had the opportunity to travel because of how optimally located mm -hmm. is like south korea to all these places i also think it was really clever that you used your alumni network to access connections at that time and i was definitely thinking too as you were describing your tactics for finding contacts <laughs> you know that makes perfect sense with your current role now is like pr yeah. and like outreach it's kind of it would be kind of sad if you go to a country you've never been to eat alone at restaurants at least you know having one or two connections would be nice and before i would actually get there i would actually buy gifts from korea because i know we like to share cultures in asia and, and gift giving is big right amongst asians so you gotta honor that and uh, i would normally bring like korean snacks like and it wasn't like the stuff you buy at h mart it was like the high quality stuff like it's boxed and it's packaged beautifully and so you know there was quality and a thought to my process <laughs> to all my gw alums out there in asia thank you <laughs> years later but i still remember those times i think something else to note about this is that like you identify as an introvert and yet you are exploring the world and you're like deliberately making connections and stuff could you speak mm -hmm. a bit more to that because i feel like that's kind of unique like i feel like most people who identify as introvert would perceive like what you're doing as kind of exhausting oh, have to make the <laughs> so yeah so like why or like how how did you come to like doing that or even pr i think that's interesting because like right. i would expect a more extrovert type person to do pr well shout out to all my introverts out there especially <laughs> if you have a four letter infj mbti you know we're rare and i know we get exhausted by too much interaction but well thank you for pointing that out i didn't really think about that just viewing the world from my perspective i wanted to see the world because you know when i was growing up growing up as immigrants and you know my parents hustled you know they had they were small business owners and obviously being a small business owner in a big city you sort of have to you know be at the store at all times and make sure things are running well I just 
like in general, I think small business owners are very tied to the brick and mortar stores. And so we didn't really get a chance to travel too much, except for summers when our family would go back to Korea to spend with our grandparents. And that I think I just viewed it from a practicality standpoint. You know, I am getting older quickly. <laughs> Time is flying. You know, I think I'm earning well now. I think I would like to have some more experiences. This all stemmed from like TED Talks and a lot of self-reflection and by listening to others. And yet, you know, when you grow older, you're not going to remember the stuff you bought. You're going to remember the experiences. And I just thought about that. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> I'm not going to take any of my stuff with me to heaven or yes, God willing, I'm going up there. I wasn't born into this world with anything in my hands. You're right. It's all about the experiences and relationships. And so once again, Korea was so nice because it's so cost effective to travel to Seoul, to Tokyo, and as opposed to New York to Tokyo. It was, you know, on uh, non-peak months. Do you know how much flights were from Seoul to Tokyo? You would not believe it if there was like these specials. Like $50? Yeah. <laughs> No joke. They would have these yeah. specials. Yes. Sometimes it's like 39,001 at that time. We're talking about 2013, 2014. So obviously it's not going to be that cheap anymore, but just literally 35 US dollars for one way. Purchased that round trip and I was a student. So yes, I was keeping tabs and I got very excited about that. And I think that's what forced me to just challenge myself and put myself out there. I'll give you one example. I was in I was in Japan the first time and this was back in 2013, October. So almost nine years ago. I remember being the introvert that I was. I always looked at things from a distance. I wouldn't sort of like get my feet wet and, and go into like, for example, like a certain store or like a busy cafe. I was it's just too much, right? And then I remember, you know what? Nobody knows who I am. I don't know there. They're all there in their own worlds having a good time. Even though I'm here by myself at this moment, let's just go and see what's going on. And so I just played a detective or like, you know, just a very curious investigator and just go in. And then I guess once you make that decision, your physical body just follows. Made that decision, went into places where I thought it would be kind of awkward to go in by myself, but ended up being the most memorable and the best teaching moments of my life. So I'm sure you can attest to this as well. Shinyu, you travel quite a bit. I'm sure there's more stamps on your passport than mine. Those are the best moments, aren't they? First yeah. conceive of something and then it turns totally different. Oh, wow. I got chills just listening to you describe that because I think that is the power of travel, the power where you are anonymous and you have mm -hmm. the ability to become anyone you decide in that moment because no one knows who you are and you can decide to be who you want to be, right? To be the person that would go into busy cafes when you in your normal day-to-day -day life at yeah. home would not go to a busy cafe because everyone already knows you as the, the maybe like the shy person who does not go to busy mm -hmm. cafes alone but like you're in a different country no one knows you you get to like define that for yourself and and I also love that you use the word detective to kind of like lean into like the curiosity it's like I'm here just to explore just to see like what is this do you have like a memorable story during your travels especially most most recently you've been on the road for four months what, what kind of stands out and what can you share with us as your viewers and listeners i think i described this a bit from the episode that you've listened to with maria right. where i was answering the question of my newest friend and i found her during like a tour group and we went with this local tour group that was targeting other colombians so maybe not mm. necessarily the people who 
live in that city, but but other Colombians traveling within their country to visit Medellin. During that trip, just the day that we spent out there, this effort to converse with the random strangers that were placed at our breakfast table, it was just mm -hmm. so energizing and playful because we were all yeah. travelers and we were all there with the purpose to explore our world and then naturally i think like when you are all traveling at the same time you're all kind of more open-minded anyways during that breakfast table i remember like we met the londoner who was visiting and like working and teaching um, english in colombia mm. and then her spanish teacher who is from medellin and then this guy from spain who was traveling with the girl from uruguay it was just so fascinating too to hear the different accents in spanish that was a really a really fun experience to be able to practice like what i've been learning in spanish in a real context yes. with all these different accents and it was it was like a little nerve-wracking because Oh yeah, I'm also a fellow INFJ. I think it was just really cool to be able to to take the perspective of all these different parts of like Latin America at one table. So I have to ask you the question that I ask everyone, which is how do you define a stranger and at what point do they transition from being one to not being one? Oh wow, that is that is a tough question. <laughs> I gotta start with what is a stranger to me? I think when I was a lot younger. I used to think, hey, being an INFJ and be very idealistic, hey, strangers are just friends that we haven't met yet, right? And then you sort of grow up and you're like, uh-uh, that's not, that's not <laughs> the case because you kind of, you sort of lose your innocence as you go and you kind of see what people are really like, you know? Inherently, we are, we are capable of a lot of evil as much as we're capable of a lot of good. And so I would now define a stranger. There isn't a physical distance there is an emotional connection distance. Oh, wow, this is so tough. I wish there was a way I can <laughs> translate this better into English, but I would say, especially nowadays, it's about values for me. Does this person and I share the same values? And it could be anything. It doesn't mean that all our core values have to align, but at least one should. For example, I think a lot of AAPIs, the reason why we could probably connect faster than other um, sort of ethnic groups is that, for example, filial piety, you know, love for your family, respect for elders. And those are things that we sort of can connect because we share those values, right? I would describe a stranger like that, somebody that I don't share any sort of core values with. How does this one become a friend just based on what I just defined? Then I would say, you know what? Sure, maybe we don't share values, but maybe we can connect through activities. So yeah, I hope I didn't confuse you. <laughs> if we can't connect on values, then let's connect on activities, wholesome, healthy activities, no vices, <laughs> all pure fun, right? I was yeah. going to comment that like of all the conversations I've had on this podcast, I don't think yeah. anyone has pointed out the differences or the change of how they view strangers as in comparison to like who they were in the past, because I think everyone and i think it makes sense like the default is to answer in the present like as me myself today this is what mm -hmm. i think so i thought it was really enlightening and kind of cool to hear the you kind of like throw in the okay this is how i would have defined it in the past 
Yeah. <laughs> I really hope that. That's very um, I feel like just like very very optimistic, and I don't. I think there is there is beauty in that as well because I feel yeah. like when you're that optimistic, you can to a certain degree kind of bend your reality through your perspective, right? right? Through your your rose colored lens or glasses right. to like make everything seem happier or better. I also thought it was interesting what you said about like if we can't connect on values that we can still connect in act. Activities as well, because I think about the the idea that we have different friends for different reasons, and that like right. no one person necessarily needs to fulfill all of your needs, right? So you can course, have yeah. like, friends to talk to, and then maybe friends that you can't talk to about really serious or deep issues that you're going through, but they can. Play a board game with you, and you enjoy that just as much. I would love to know: Have you thought deeply about like all your different values? Yes, I have. I also want to share what I do in the Air Force very briefly. I'm actually a, a chaplain, and so chaplains are kind of like based on their faith traditions. I guess we go a little bit into faith and religion. I am a Protestant Christian, and so what I do is I. Provide spiritual care and counseling to the members of the the Air Force and their families. A lot of my values come from that, from those religious and faith beliefs. But a lot of other values come from my family. We are a family of nerds, so education is huge, right? And a lot of Asian families, and not just Asian, but I think all around, people know that education is the greatest equalizer in the world, which is why it's so important, and which is why it's a little shame that teachers are not paid higher than they should be. Shout out to all my teacher colleagues out there. So that I guess a lot of my values come from from those two areas. Family and and faith. So, yeah. What about you, Shinji? Where where do your values come from? My experience is also colored as being Asian American as well. But、mm-hmm. I have tied down my values to, and of course they can change over time.、Um, but、mm-hmm. the ones that resonate with me the most in the past couple of years have been community. Curiosity and courage, and these are the types of people that I'm trying to attract with "Don't Be Strangers." People who care、mm-hmm. about connecting deeply with themselves as well as with like other people. People who、mm-hmm. are open-minded, who are students of life, and it's like the curiosity aspect. I like that. And then, and then courage, because I think that growth is on the other side of fear. That like there's a lot of things that people want to do, and、mm-hmm. a lot of people who hold themselves back. And so I really admire people who, despite having these fears, do the things that they want to do. And that's the type of person that I want to be. And the, hence. But that's why courage is one of my values. Oh wow, that's a lot of wisdom right there. I was just kind of speechless for a second, especially when you said <laughs> growth is on the other side of fear, and you know we're all motivated by our desires and aspirations, but fear is also a huge motivator in the way humans sort of act and the way we live our lives. Um, we're truly honest with ourselves. I think most of us would admit that for some people, maybe it's more than half of what they do in their lives. Their habits are all based on fear, and I know that's a little bit scary to think about. But I know there were times in my life where fear was a huge driver. Trying to be successful, trying to get these titles, these awards,、um, because maybe there's a fear of not being loved by my parents or appreciated and and felt proud of. 
And so I, I admit during my younger years, that's what motivated me. But thank you for touching upon that. Kind of makes me wonder, man, there's so much things on my to-do list that I've kind of put off. And I think a lot of it is, it's definitely fear. Well, I'm going to confess right back that like, I, I think that I constantly live with fear. And hence right. like yeah. why I admire courage. The thing is, I always do things that scare me. So I see myself myself as a very fearful person. And so I I just think like I believe in desensitization, the repetition Mm. of doing something to be able to adjust your response to these situations, your stressful situations. So sometimes like I put myself through what I would call like stressful situations so that hopefully the next time I won't be as stressed through like practice and through repetition. Wow. Yes. So I think that's how I was able to move myself from more introverted. Like I was definitely more introverted Mm -hmm. as a child. And then over time to be more ambiverted because I recognized that I wanted to be more social. And so I worked on it and I worked on it where I would, I would compliment strangers and that stressed me out so much. But I was like, you know, you want to tell this random girl that you love her earrings. And then I would just be very stressed. Then I would just force (laughs) myself to do it anyways. And now I can tell any stranger positive things about them because I know that I want to receive that. Yeah, I want to receive that. And I don't want to be stressed about giving good karma to people. I feel like that's, (laughs) you know, that's kind of silly. Like in my mind, it's like everyone wants compliments. Like why why, why is this stressful? I I am fearful, but I am hopeful, and I I try to stay optimistic, and that's kind of what gives me the drive. Oh, that's said like a true INFJ um, and slash ENFJ. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we we just call this? Well, as a true PR person <laughs> representing. <laughs> An organization. If you are interested in anything that I've said, and Chinyi, you as well, if you have any questions about Hawk Match and and where it's going, please follow us uh, and see our progress on hugmatch.net, which is our official website. And you can meet our team. We have all our photos there and our profiles. It's a great team of people from all different parts of the country at one point and now we're all based here in the new york new jersey area somewhere in korea as well but what's unique is that we're all aapi and so yeah we're working towards a very truly noble global mission <laughs> you can find us on our instagram and sort of follow us there we will be going to philadelphia in october and we're going to go to a make affair um more details on that on our social media feed and we're going to be sort of going out there, meeting children and testing our prototype, our app prototype and doing activities. Because later on, we don't just want to be an app creator and a toy maker. We also want to build schools and create our own educational content based on science and, and rigorous academic research. So we're going to digitize the future classrooms. And yeah, we have a mission. Wow. And we're going to follow through. That's- super exciting i can't wait to see how this project grows and stuff um youth dropping the the fact that you guys are aiming to impact the education system is very exciting Mm -hmm. because i i've also experimented a little bit with trying to get into the uh school system and it's like you said it's very disappointing how how well that teachers are paid and like yeah it's it's such a crime yeah 
And interestingly enough, the next episode is with a high school biology teacher based in San Francisco. So shout out to you, Curtis, as I have our episode lined up next to edit. Thank you so much again, Gabriel, for being so open and sharing your story with us. I always find it super inspiring to meet introverts making waves because I know how especially exhausting it is for them. Reflecting on this, I think it may be because it aligns with my value of courage. As Gabriel mentioned himself, you can check out more about HugMatch at hugmatch.net or at hugmatch on Instagram to support and learn more about their project. If you want a personal introduction, feel free to reach out to me at Don't Be Strangers or write in on our website, don'tbestrangers.club. What are your values? Do you align with any of the ones mentioned in this episode? I'd love to know. Also, to confirm, I did indeed buy my flights from Malaysia, so I'll be in Kuala Lumpur in December. If you'd like to meet up or help me make a connection out there, I'm all ears. And if you know of any friends who live in Dallas, please share our Eventbrite calendar, invite your friends, and come meet our community in person. I'm doing the second conversation game night here in North Dallas at Staycation Coffee in Richardson, a big kid energy craft night in collaboration with Movement Gyms Dallas, and of course, our typical online and global conversational game nights on Sunday, October 23rd. If you want to host your own events with us, either in person or online, we are now also taking submissions to collaborate with you. You can find all that information on Instagram. I'm sending you all the good energy you need for this week. And as always, don't be a stranger.